Okay, so I would like us to start with the hosting gate. Would you like to explain to people what happened there? To our loyal listeners. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> because so many of my friends were so confused. And, like, I made a whole hilarious Instagram story out of it. And people still didn't read mm. it. And I was like, damn it. I made some solid jokes there. I, I... Why did... I don't. So here's the thing. I was uh, I was dumb dumb, and I didn't realize <laughs> that um, our the 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 hosting um service platform platform yeah yeah that I used to upload the first episode was paid beyond the first upload. And it was. I think it's important to say it was paid in American dollars, and we despise um like helping the american economy thrive in any way and the thing is it's not that expensive but like me being the 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 ski the, the i don't know what the, what the term is the, i i what i'm the, trying to the, say the... is that i i, I want to avoid paying <laughs> as much as i possibly can that's what i'm trying to say yeah, because I was like, I was like, it's fine. Like, it's, it will only be like $2.50 per person. It's not that much a month. And Pedro was like, yeah, it's not that much. But let me come my way through it. Let me <laughs> find a free option. I, like a true, like a true anarchist that he is. He just doesn't believe in any sort of establishment. And he did find the free platform, a, a new hosting platform for us to use instead. Yes, yes, I did. Uh, so I uploaded both episodes, the previous one, as well as the newer one, the Chucky one, on the new platform. So a new whole account on Spotify was born out of it. The <laughs> thing is, I tried to delete the previous one, except, and I actually deleted it off of the, the, the hosting service. Like, I go to the hosting service website and it really isn't there like it says like you have no podcast that shit does not exist yet it still is on spotify and when people try to like look for a podcast by the search bar it's the the old account is the one that pops up and like that account just won't die it won't be murked it's like chucky it's in it's indestructible it really is like chucky, it really is like chucky. so like right now it still hasn't died are we gonna email um are you gonna email the hosting platform or yeah hosting platform right the the old hosting platform to take it down yeah i don't know i don't know whether to email the hosting platform or spotify itself i mean <clears throat> like which is less likely to ignore me <laughs> i mean they're both american conglomerates so like no, I would uh, I would email the hosting platform first because technically it's their responsibility and if they don't get back to you then I would email Spotify. Um yeah that Yeah, okay, let me do a little bit of live um of of live uh investigating into the situation. I'm just trying to quickly see what's going on with this account. And see if it is in fact deleted. I'm logging into the hosting server. Yeah, and also because of the hosting gate on the new account, the first two episodes are in the opposite order. So like, yeah, <laughs> the first episode is actually the second episode, and the the first episode is the second episode, and we can't really I... change it, and we just like we've accepted it. I think it's just 
the way it is. I mean, okay, so what? So it's not here. There really is no podcast created on this hosting platform. There's nothing. The podcast does not exist here. So I don't know. It's some voodoo magic shit. Like you know, they uh. tell you that like you can never like this <laughs> delete anything from the internet. But like I didn't f- think it was this extreme that you can take down a podcast. Like what? I don't know. Yeah, at least online, it, um, when I search the podcast. Um, both accounts show up. Yeah, like, no, but like it, once I follow the new account, it like also both of the podcast show showed up for me. But then I hang out with my friends, and they were like, like uh, the new episode didn't pop up in our feeds, and I was like, oh, like I explained to them the situation, and I tried to like manually look for the new profile on their phones, and I couldn't, and I had to send them like a link to the new account for them to have it. So I think like the reason that the new one pops up for us is because we are already following it. But like for mm-hmm. some reason when you just <clears throat> search for it, it just doesn't pop up. Okay, so what you're saying is that our our already loyal <laughs> listeners already have access to, to the new account, which means they all they already follow it. So the new episode will automatically appear in their feeds. I mean, anyway. the three people that actually listen to our show, yes, they do <laughs> have the new profile and the new episode will pop up in their feed. To all the rest of you, I've saved up, I've saved up my iconic Instagram story. So like, and the link to the new account is there. So just um, so just click there and also look yeah. at that story because I'm very funny there and I feel like more people should appreciate it so yeah oh, that was the hosting gate we need to start that, that was the hosting gate uh let's move on to greener pastures and <laughs> um i wonder what the 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 social media strategy for this one will be because chucky is like way easier to make like a whole social media campaign i mean i've I luckily i've been obsessed with this show since i was three so like i have a lot of ideas in my mind i just want to plug the the soundtrack and the oct and um yeah I'll, I'll do stuff there's a lot of very cute like very good shots that i can use so like i'll be fine i mean by the time yeah. people will listen to it they've already seen my yeah. uh, <laughs> amazing uh social media campaign promoting this episode so like they'll they'll know they'll know yeah, they'll they'll just see like our followers on Instagram will just see like what what the fuck are they posting anime now? Let me unfollow this <laughs> shit. I'm not into this weeaboo shit. Get the fuck. Out. Um. Anyway, we're talking about anime today. We are talking about <laughs> anime, and very importantly, we are talking about anime that I grew up with. This was my Pokemon, because I hated Pokemon. Interesting. And I love this show. Um. I watched it for the first time when I was like three or four because my dad's friend burned a bunch of like late nineties, early two thousands animes for us on DVDs, and so I watched oh, this. So cool. I watched this in Japanese with English subtitles when I was four and definitely didn't know how to read, let alone read in English. And I had a marvelous time. And you know, then I rewatched it for the first time. I think I was in middle school, and then. Like, when I was watching it for the first time as a kid, I, like, I definitely understood, like, the emotional themes and of the show, and I understood that, like, I loved the dolls fighting, but, like, 
rewatching it gave me such a better understanding of the complexities and nuance of stuff that uh, happened in the show and just like made my made me appreciate it more and as we were rewatching this now I think that was my fifth or sixth rewatch I'm on my period and I was very emotional during this rewatch I don't know if it's because of the nostalgia is is it because like I'm moving in next two months and you know this is like a, a big part of my childhood but like I was I, I cried so much <laughs> during this very I silly mean, silly show but like ah uh, to be fair, it, it's very melodramatic, so I definitely, <laughs> it's very emotional and melodramatic. But, like, yeah, um, yeah, the anime we're talking about is uh, Angelic Layer from the year 2001? Yeah, two thousand. I feel. 2001, yeah. yeah, yeah. 2001, and if I had seen this anime when I was a kid, I would have lost my shit and I would stand this because, like, this is about you know like dolls fighting in a giant field and like applying techniques and magic and superpowers and like martial arts all in the same sort of spectacle and like i was a fiend for that shit i loved pokemon i loved digimon i loved like decor like um uh sort of trying to memorize every single like outfit every single monster their like peculiarities and if i had come in contact with a show like this when i was little i would have absolutely lost my mind and tried to memorize every single character name and every single like monster name. i was so obsessed with the show i even because i had one doll it was a um my scene doll and she actually had joints because she came with a bicycle and so I, she had initially she had long blonde hair, and because my favorite doll when I was little was Blanche, I cut her hair short, and I and in our old living room we had a coffee table that was like circular, and so I would pretend that the coffee table is the layer, and that this doll is Blanche, and I would like dress her in white clothes. I was so obsessed. I mean, I was so obsessed that as we were doing the rewatch, my dad like heard the opening theme. And he was like, is this Angelic Layer? Like, I watched that nonstop as a kid. And rightly so. And that's. It's so cool that your dad knows what Angelic Layer is. Because it's, like, not a mainstream anime. It's not, like, one of the, like, more well-known ones. So the fact that your dad recognized the theme song, like, all from all the way back when you were a kid, just proves that. My dad, my dad is such a, like, camp king like he has watched so much weirdness shit which we explains to you why we're doing this podcast <laughs> like that is the man who raised me and that is my taste i'm just like into weirdness shit um but yeah, no i was so obsessed with the show okay so like let us because it's a whole 26 episode anime and we are planning on like going in depth into character arcs and our favorite battles and our favorite episodes so uh if you want to watch the show without any spoilers let us just tell you briefly the premise of it and then you can just pause this podcast watch it and come back once uh once you finish the series and if you don't care hello uh let's join <laughs> let's join jesus no in, in, enjoy the ride okay so the basic premise of the show the main character, uh, her name is Misaki Suzuhara, 
and she's 12 years old and she just arrived in Tokyo because she's been living with her grandparents uh, in the countryside because her mother is busy working in Tokyo and she cannot take care of her. And so she arrives in Tokyo, she wants to start living with her aunt who is a younger sister of her mom and as she's leaving the train station on this huge screen she sees this fight uh this fight between those two dolls and she's so bewildered and engrossed in in that battle in that fight and she has no idea what it is and she immediately falls in love with with what we later find out is this sport called angelic layer and um she she meets this weird guy who he who she calls Ichan uh Ichan san uh, and he tells her like what to buy and he's sort of like he's this guarding presence for like the beginning of the show for reasons that we find out later and she buys an egg and she makes her own doll she names her Hikaru and then she starts slowly but surely she starts learning how to fight and throughout the anime we are essentially following her journey from being a beginner to being a very respected and uh, talented fighter and the majority of episodes each feature one fight uh, between Hikaru and a different doll and yeah that's the basic premise of the show would you like to add something Pedro also we didn't introduce the show <laughs> I just realized Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, in case you, in case we, in case you don't know what you're listening to by now, um, uh, yeah, this is shit talking. We're talking about Angelic Layer. <laughs> yeah, this is shit talking. This is Mercy. That was Pedro. Roxy's gonna hate me uh, because uh, Roxy, a friend of mine and a listener of the show, she was very like um, persistent on us having a proper intro. <laughs> And I was like, okay, okay, we will try. Oh, God. <laughs> and th- this one just forgot. starts out with us. <laughs> and, and the first thing, like, oh, yeah, we did have a proper intro. The first thing. Oh, yeah, so this hosting gate thing. And we really get into specifics about emails. and Oh, boy. We messed it up. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. This is called shit talking, not we know how to structure things talking you know like it's in the name you cannot blame us for, for being yeah. all over the place i'm sorry you you just can't you can't okay i mean yeah you come to expect like we we sell you on a poopy podcasts so a poopy podcast <laughs> is what you're getting exactly exactly <laughs> Uh, no, but yeah, yeah, that's Angelic Layer. It's also, it was done, like Pedro said at the beginning of the show, it's from 2001, so it has this, like, very late 90s aesthetic of an anime. Think Sailor Moon. I think that's, like, mm-hmm. the closest yeah. you get yeah. aesthetic-wise. And yeah, it's just a lot of fun. The opening theme is amazing. The closing themes are amazing. The score throughout the show is just breathtaking. No, like, Pedro and I, we believe this is a masterpiece. Like, wholeheartedly, we believe this is this series is a masterpiece. And I don't think you can change our mind. This is so underrated. Like, when I was, when I was like, 15, 16, 
I was like starting to get really deep into deep into anime. So I was like looking through all of the best anime lists and I watched a bunch of like the canonical stuff. Mm. But this was never mentioned and I believe this should be mentioned, especially in this style where like it's like the, the it's like the typical sh- it's some it follows somewhat the typical like shonen structure. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, um very simple like battle themed centric episodes and like focused on like different characters and dolls with different fighting traits and all that you know what you come to expect from like something like pokemon Mm. um but this just like accesses like this emotional depth that some of those other shows just just don't because okay those episodes those shows those other shows tend to be so long and this one is only 26 episodes so it has to condense a lot of stuff in one show and it somehow does it perfectly. There's like so much emotional complexity to everything, and it still finds time to make these lo- to take these episodes just solely structured on battles and like the psychology of each battle and the dynamic between each of the opponents. So it's like it functions as this like action adventure shown in anime, but mainly with girls. Um, as well as also, uh, sorry, as well as also this, like, sports-themed anime. You know, like, you know why I feel like it wasn't as popular, and it still is not as popular? Misogyny. Because, like, that show very openly discusses the themes of mm. femininity, and how, like, no matter what kind of girl you are, whether you're a girly girl or more of a tomboy, or whether you are tall or short, there is, like, in picture in patriarchal society there will be a way for you to feel like you're not adequate like you're not enough and uh and also like that show just embraces girliness that i don't think a lot of like battle shows um embraces and yeah and i mean i love it i will write a feminist like a dissertation on like the feminist theory and angelically and angelical and angelic layer at one point in my career i'm sure of it but yeah i think that's like that's the reason why it's less popular and i also feel like you know a lot of time a lot of the time with anime you read the premise and you're like what the fuck <laughs> like that sounds so messed up or like silly and then you actually watch the anime and like you're crying uh, <laughs> because it's so good and yeah. it's like within the universe presented in the anime it's not silly at all and i feel like mm-hmm. if you were to just read the premise of the show on like i don't know wikipedia or if you listen to us talking about it it just it doesn't sound as good as it actually is i think because the reason like for example a lot of the like sports anime fall flat for me is because i don't really care about the sport right and like a lot of them really focus Mm -hmm. on like the ethos of a given sport or you know what it means to play it and whatever and here you have this made-up sport that is essentially a, a small spoiler but this is essentially a story about a mother and a daughter finding their way back to each other and accepting that they don't need to like uphold this idea of perfection to be worthy of each other's love and time and uh, and care and you know they don't have to be perfect to be in each other's lives and so yeah you have this like amazing tournament and like so many battles but at at its core it's about 
you know, finding your way back into each other's life, right? And, like, that is also, I feel like, why... Because, like, it's technically a sports anime, it's technically a battle anime, but, like, because it kind of does a lot of things at the same time, it's hard to market it well with an anime, like, very structured genre idea of what each Mm -hmm. show is supposed to be like, you know? Because it's a bit... It's a bit... Like, a little bit of that, a little bit of that, which I personally think why it's so great, but I think that's, like, harder for, like, people to find it, in a way. Yeah, it, on the one hand, this is a weird one, because this structure, this type of, the way this anime is structured is, like, really lends itself to, like, sort of boyish mm. anime. So, like, Yu-Gi-Oh! and Pokemon yeah. and stuff like that. And he uses also because, like, um, the dolls are essentially doing, like, pro something between martial arts and pro wrestling, which are both very male-centered yeah. uh, forms of entertainment. And here it's, like, dolls yeah. and, like, almost all the important players are young girls or, like, women. And it's very, yeah. very, like... A- Unashamed, and, like unashamedly, is that correct? Why do I always struggle with the English language when we do this <laughs> podcast? Um, but like, it's very openly and boldly girly, and so you have that like hybrid of mixing something very masculine with something hyper feminine, that which is why I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Me too. Me too. But like, I was saying, like, it's a weird one because while it's that, and it's like you know those traits are very much like culturally seen as boyish anime mm-hmm. traits but at the same time and, and like on on the other hand like you have um these type of girly anime would usually be like magical girl stuff so like sailor mm-hmm. moon but this is neither nor this is like the sort of mixture between both and i feel like this would be so easy to market to especially like like preteen girls like because you have these <clears throat> so like you have these figures, these dolls, as well as the people that control them, and that um, like they're they're girly, but they never like relinquish their femininity, but they like they assume these different um like personality traits in their fighting style and their outfits. So like some are more like flamboyant and um sort of uh, feminine in this more outbursty way Mm. and while others are like very much like stern and stoic so you have this interesting like like mixture of of vibes and in this anime but like and while it's different difficult to categorize like i figure it would still be easy to market in some way because i'm sure there's like a huge market of girls that would have seen this on TV as kids and would have absolutely loved and identified with different facets of the type of femininity that the characters I mean, display. that's one of the things I think, like, spoke to me even subconsciously so much as a child because, like, I was never, like... Like, my mom was very feminine and I was never really, um, you, you know, that feminine. I was a bit of a tomboy and still... Um, and like what I love so much about this show is that like the two central female characters and their friendship is between Miseki, who's very feminine and like is very delicate and cute, and she's also very short. And then you have Tamayo, absolute queen, who's like 
outwardly a tomboy and like their yeah. difference in their their different interpretations of femininity and how they choose to express it is never it never we really like forces them to clash with one another it's their own like inner insecurities that come from like living in patriarchal societies that kind of lead to some angst later on but like they're always very true and to each other and that friendship is based on like mutual respect of each other's femininity and like when misaki has like different battles and like she encounters like different women and girls that like expresses that express their femininity differently like she never really is like the show never really makes the point that like misaki wins because like she is hyper feminine no like she wins because like she is willing to be open to that different form of femininity and learn from her opponent and like see like it's just like it respects the idea that I wholeheartedly believe that femininity is a spectrum and you can take and you can be on whatever like point of that spectrum as you want in different parts of your life and like it doesn't make you any like more or less of a woman you know like femininity and gender in general are very abstract things are just tools for your expression and you can take from those things whatever you want and like you're so valid equally valid whatever like mixture you choose and that show really focuses on that and folk like maybe not so much about masculinity because they're so like maybe not little but like um the the make the male characters are there but like they're not as much explored in terms of their relationship with their masculinity but femininity is like very much a spectrum in that show and i yeah. i think that's like one of the reasons why it spoke to me so much as a child i'm really hoping someone on tiktok like will post about like someone big on tiktok will post about that show and it will blow up and we'll have this angelic yeah. layer renaissance that's what i want like you just we i think we in this first like half hour of discussion like just opening an entire can of words <laughs> about what this anime does regarding femininity masculinity and all that but like yes um like this needs to be discovered by like some tiktok kid, influencer nerd kid who just like makes everyone like stream angelically or wherever it is available exactly because like i totally see like people discovering this and like cosplaying like the different dolls because like the, the costumes are so cool and the outfits are like so bright and like elaborate. i mean all the bad bitches so... on instagram just cosplaying as shirahima for halloween i can see it i can see it in, in the eyes of my mind and i want to see it in the eyes of my like physical body <laughs> in the eyes of your eyes in the eyes of my <laughs> eyes i am on something tonight but yeah so like if you want to watch the show without any spoilers this is the time for you to pause it it is on kiss anime if you also don't like to pay for stuff kiss anime then where is your novel plot price um yeah, this anime has done so much for an entire community. Like, Kiss Anime. The whole Kiss, like, series, Kiss Anime, Kiss Asian, Kiss Manga, and Kiss Comics. Like, they've done so much. I mean, just for me. Like, I... Because, like, nowadays you have a lot of anime on Netflix. And you also have a lot of K-dramas on Netflix. But, like, when I was in high school, and it wasn't cool to watch anime and K-dramas... 
like I had to go to like my little oasis that was Kisanime and Kisasia and like also like one of the things that like I'm a bit pissed off is that like I listened to K-pop back when it wasn't cool to listen to K-pop and J-pop and now like all the cool kids are listening to like I don't know BTS twice um whatever and I'm like where is your trauma <laughs> you had to earn your right to listen to that shit but yeah anyway my rumble aside it's on kiss asian it's like it's on a bunch of anime sl- streaming platforms you can go watch it it's just 26 episode uh episodes one episode is like 24 minutes usually right yeah As, yeah so it's like literally just a weekend and you're done with the whole show and so like it's like the same exact episode amount as like a season of glee but like half of the runtime that was my thought process <laughs> pedro re wants us to do like a season by season analysis of glee and i i, I can't <laughs> deal with 22 episodes of ryan murphy show i just my brain is now wired for that i can't do it but yeah so like if you want to watch it without any spoilers go now bye bye your choice is valid however if you're a bad bitch that is not afraid of spoilers you're very much welcome to stay. We are very welcoming people, I feel like. Ooh, Angelic Layer. Holy shit. Okay. Um, what do you think we should talk about first? Because there's a lot of to unpack in that series. Okay. Going back to what you've mentioned, and this is a bit of a galaxy brain comparison that mm-hmm. I just made up like on the spot. Ooh. So, like, there's this documentary, and this is one of my favorite documentaries. Mm-hmm. Um, Paris it's is called... Burning? <laughs> it's, it's not Paris is Burning. I love Paris is Burning, <laughs> but it's not Paris is Burning. I, w- I mean, I wouldn't exact. I mean, someone, someone smarter than me and more qualified than me will make the comparison between Paris is Burning and Angelica. I mean, Player. the ballroom sure scene is a lot like the battles, like, if you really think about it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but there's this documentary called Gaia Girls. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's about this training camp for women's pro wrestling in Japan. Ooh. And this documentary just goes like so deep in how harrowing the process of training to be a, a, a girl pro wrestler in Japan. Mm hmm. And, like, all of these girls are so young, just teenage girls about the same age as um, the girls in Angelic Layer. And all of the motivations in the documentary that the girls express to want for, for them to want to become wrestlers is that so they can overcome their insecurities and be badasses and perform oh as God. badasses to a crowd. Um, and all of that is so rooted in this, like, so much insecurity and so much resentment towards their families as that gets explored in the documentary. And I see a lot of parallels between that and Angelic Layer, but in a different sense, because in Angelic Layer, all these different girls, especially girls, have so many motivations to get into Angelic Layer. But Angelic Layer, for many of them, is this positive expression of not, I mean, yes, it's fighting, it's aggression, it's like visceral emotion, mm. just like, you know, something like pro wrestling is, but 
in the show, this is portrayed as something to bond over. Yeah. Not as much as like compete. So this is, but I think both things are like ways of dealing with complex emotions just in different light. Mm. I this I don't know if this makes any sense to a person that hasn't seen the documentary, but yeah. No, like I I I, I agree, and also like in the show, it's sh- like for example, Misaki, she's very insecure about being small and little mm-hmm. and so and she may decides to make hikaru to like resemble her so she hikaru is also small and little she's lightweight and like in a lot of ways by pushing hikaru to become better and like to perform better in these battles she's proving to herself that her insecurity doesn't matter the like height doesn't matter because like all that matters is the like how hard you work and how open you are to conversations with others and like like you said like throughout the show like there's so many female characters but also like the one prominent male character that plays Angelica Lair which is Ojiro like they both they all of them have like they're fueled by their own insecurities to just battle it out on, on the layer and sort of prove to like in one way or the other prove to themselves that like what causes them so much pain mm-hmm. doesn't matter and um that they can you know they can express it in this very cathartic way and through that they can start to heal from whatever it is that causes them to feel not so great about themselves, right? Yeah. Oh, God. Which is why, I mean, I'm not a sports person at all. Neither. Neither am I. Like, like I'm... I only like figure skating because it's just... It's so pretty to watch and, like, it's so exciting. All the other sports are very boring to me. (laughs) Like, um... But yeah, I'm not a sports person, but the reason why I've been into um, sports and the sports anime that I've watched, the few of it, I've not seen a lot of sports anime, but it really goes deep into the inherent psychology of the sport itself and what about it inherently makes people who are trying to like struggle with their emotions just delve deep into it as like a coping mechanism and sort of overcome every insecurity which and and that's why i think not only is angelic layer such a also like this family drama and this fun badass action show but also a very good sports anime because it really deals with sort of um this form of expression this physical form of expression as a means to um and it explore it really explores what about it inherently makes the characters like try to get better and overcome all the opponents in it yeah so and that's why it works in so many different domains yeah dimensions. i think one of the re- like one of the elements i love the most like in terms of that is miss M- misaki is very shy she's very introverted and like because of that she's a very good observer like she notices a lot of things about people around her and that's like one of the key elements that make her such a good player later on is because she notices like what her opponent is doing during the fight when they're using some like complicated technique that she's never seen before like she's her ability to just stop and analyze and like pay attention but also 
pick and choose like techniques or uh, techniques of her opponents that just work very well and she can replicate like she's she's highly observant and you know something that comes from in her like more or less insecurity because like she's very introverted and she's very shy in the battle becomes one of her biggest strengths and I think that's also like the reason I think we are not into sports is not necessarily because like the discipline itself bores us it's because we are not into the like the sports people's lives and so we don't understand like the narrative of their sports career and like what it took them to like get to a place that they are now like in a given play or whatever and I think that's what really makes sports exciting and I think also that's why like especially with football people are very emotionally connected to like their team of choice is because they follow this narrative and they mm-hmm. are emotionally connected to that narrative, more or less. N- n- you know, not not really because they enjoy the sports itself, the sport itself. But like, I think you'll, um, that when you really like a sport, it's because of this, like everything that's there emotionally yeah. around the sport. Now, because of, like you enjoy the match itself so much, you know. And and, and the y- reason and the reason why I sort of gravitate towards like sports anime or like more than actual sports or like fake sports more than actual sports is because like it really centers like when you watch sports on tv you're like you don't you don't immediately connect with it because it's just you know like they're doing their thing and they're and you're just an outsider and i don't understand and i don't immediately like connect with that but with with like when when it's fictional and it's a story about sports fictionally I just like I am able to understand the people first, and the sport comes later. Mm. Which is why I sort of gravitate more towards it. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Okay, so like, before we go on to talk about characters and their personal journeys throughout the twenty-six episodes, and to kind of wrap it up our discussion about sports, I want you to tell me which one was your favorite battle throughout the whole oh, show. Oh, um, I have two. Mm-hmm. Um, you're the, legally obliged to <laughs> um, I think my f- like favorite in terms of like the physicality of it and like the psychology and how it was written mm-hmm. um, my favorite is I think uh, Hikaru um, Misaki's um, doll and Shirahime um, size doll oh my this girl that's, size doll. that is such a strong battle it's because so good it's like so good. you have Hikaru, who like in the words of Taylor Swift, continuing the run of this episode <laughs> of, and every single episode we quote Taylor Swift. I've never been a natural. All I do is try, try, try. Oh my god, like, we're so obsessed of... with this moment. This is so embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> like literally, okay, we're gonna talk mind. about it later. It's but like, there's this mind. one scene in the show and like i'm looking at the scene and all i can hear is august from folklore <laughs> no yes continue sorry but yeah like that's the sort of misaki and by default her doll hikaru's arc is like she like she has to overcome so many like uh setbacks and insecurities to sort of be better and try and like get knocked down and get back up so like this underdog figure and meanwhile shirahime and um her sort of trainer creator um, deus is the word they deus, use. deus exactly yeah. literally a uh, god <laughs> um, um 
uh, Sai is very much like stern, stoic, like just effortlessly cool and majestic. I love her so as... much. She's so cool. She and, him like, is also such a bad bitch. I can't get over that fact. Like I think we like every time Shirahime popped up on screen while we were rewatching this, we repeatedly referred to her as a bad bitch. She's it's such so a bad bitch. She's such a bad bitch. Oh my god. I'm sorry. Yes, continue. <laughs> But, like, this battle is so well-structured and well-written because it's all about, like, um, Hikaru getting tired and getting knocked down and Shirahime, like, while trying to knock down Shirahime. And Shirahime is, um, like, sort of so unfazed by everything that she does. And she's just, like, she never moves. Like, she's never, like, it's make, um, a big deal is made about her never, like reacting in pain or like never flying off after hikaru doesn't attack so just she emerges as this as this like untouchable figure while hikaru just has to try so hard to finally beat her yeah and but it also is portrayed in the show that like the reason why both sai and shirahima are like that is because sai does not want to deal with the grief of her younger sister that has come to pass mm-hmm. due to um, an indisclosed illness. And she says that she just, she does not want to cry anymore. She does not want to feel, she just wants to be strong. So like she's not crushed by this grief. And that's why she's so unmoving and uh, like unwilling to deal with any emotion. And, you know, with, it's just that battle is that battle is just so well structured because like through Hikaru's and Misaki's like endurance to just keep on trying no matter how badly they are crushed, I feel that inspires Sai to finally accept her grief. And like it is portrayed on the battle so beautifully because like initially they yeah. fight on the sand and so like there Shirahime has the advantage because like she's heavier and so she has a better footing in the sand and she can like defend herself well and then Hikaru like moves the battle into water into the ocean and there and then all of like Sai's and Shirahime's coping mechanisms just fail them because like sometimes you just really need to cry and also I love that like quote that Sai's head canon girlfriend <laughs> Kare says to her before the fight that like I hope that like after fighting with Misaki you will learn to fight not only for the past but also for the present because yeah. uh, she essentially fights with a doll that her dying sister designed and it's like she's doing it to sort of be with her sister in, in, in a way for like for the last time and oh god it's so it's such a good fight it's so well done however it's not my favorite fight I must say it's a very yeah, it's I, a very strong contender, but it's not my favorite fight. Yeah, um, I was just gonna say that it's very funny to me that Sai and her girlfriend <laughs> Kaede, um, like show up. I, they're not, never like explicitly portrayed as girlfriends, but like, but like it's but you know you deduce. Uh, and in the actual like wiki for angelic layer you're depicted as friends and i just laughed immediately <laughs> because like that's not what's going on here like look at these two women those these are not friends i mean i'm <laughs> sorry i'm sorry but in the epilogue uh kind of accompanies Sai when she goes visit her like sister's grave like in what world would you take like a casual friend to that event no 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 they're yeah, girlfriends 
a significant other thing. That's like a deep emotional connection thing. Exactly. Clearly going on with Kaede and Sai. Exactly. And they're always hanging out together. And oh my god, that scene after Sai loses the battle. And like she just... Kaede comes to her. And like Sai is not a very affectionate person. So, But like she finally accepts her grief and starts to cry and she just leans on Kaide's back and they're just like there for each other oh god it's so beautiful it's so beautiful like in all of this emotional baggage just framed through a single battle between two dolls it's this anime rules please watch it (laughs) like it is a masterpiece of what else do you want us to say however do do you want to guess which my uh, which battle is my favorite one? I, I was gonna say my other favorite battle. I I'm is all I, is what I'm guessing yours is. Okay, it's, it's the final battle between um, uh, Misaki and Hikaru versus her mom. Ooh, interesting, and, but no. Uh, Athena, which <laughs> that one is just solely because of the outpour of emotion and the spectacle because they're in the fighting in the field of roses. It's, it's like so beautiful. It's such a beautiful fight, but no, it's not my favorite fight. Guess again. Ooh, what is it then? My what favorite is fight is between Ojiro and Misaki just because like the emotional oh, okay. complexities as they fight it out and it's just like... Um... Wait, we I have I have to explain pr- practically the whole sh- the whole show. <laughs> Jesus, I have to explain practically the whole show to explain why that fight works so well for me. So, um, at this point in the show, um, Misaki and Ojiro have been like kind of low key vibing. Misaki has like a like a crash on Ojiro, but like she just she she doesn't think he sees her like that he thinks he sees her as a uh like a younger sister sort of a, of a person because she's so tall oh, jesus she's not tall at all she's not tall she, she's not tall let's put that she's, out there. <laughs> she's so short and like you know cutesy and she just doesn't like oh i texted you that when we were watching the show because like in that episode Tamayo uh, feels very insecure because she feels like she cannot be tomboyish and like the person that she is and be a desirable like female uh, and at the same time Misaki like she's very feminine but at the same time she's like cutesy and short so she also feels like she's just not I don't know I guess mature enough to be a desirable like love interest or whatever so she just assumes that like Ojiro is nice to her and like wants to be her friend and like listens to her talk about her insecurities and like the pain she feels because of her absent mother because she he just sees her as a younger sister right and Ojiro and so like she's fighting him and she's battling that but at the same time this is like the national game semi-final so like if she wins with Ojiro she'll be able to fight with Athena who like is a big motivation for her to like be better because that's the the doll she sees first when she arrives in Tokyo and like it motivates her to fight with her and unbeknownst to her that doll is um her mother's right but she doesn't know that but at the same time Ojiro um who um He's one of like the OG players of Angelic Lair because his stepbrother Ethan uh, developed the game. 
uh, he had a crush when he was a child on Misaki's mother, and because of the big <laughs> that's so that's so weird when you consider that Oichiro and Misaki end up together. <laughs> I mean, just, I mean, Pedro. Remember what kind of shows we watch. You cannot think about it too much. You cannot think about that, like, Ichiro, Ojiro's older brother, is into Misaki's mother, and they probably end up married. Like, you can't... No, don't think about it. Don't think about it too hard. Don't think about it too hard. No, but, like, he... As a child, he was into her, but because she was an adult, like, uh, he could never, like, you know, confess and get properly rejected, so he was never able to really move on and so he gets it in his head that like when he finally defeats Athena he'll he'll be able to get over that feeling you know and like move on and get over this like very formative emotion to him and so as Hikaru and uh, Wizardo uh, (laughs) Ojiro's doll are fighting it's like it's essentially a battle of wills between them both like driven so much to like prove something to themselves and like prove that they can be that like a kind of person or like get to a like emotional place that like was so out of reach for both of them for so long because I feel like Misaki like feels after the date because like she out after the date with Ojiro because she interprets interprets <laughs> Jesus <laughs> interpreted that was no let's not comment on that <laughs> because she just you know assumes that like he sees he sees her as this like frail shirt cutesy girl and you know she really projects this idea that you can be small and still powerful on Athena who is like the creature the creature that inspires her to prove to herself that she can be small and like delicate and still be very powerful and win and so she's like, she's fighting to prove that to herself. And Ojiro is fighting to prove to himself that he can move on, you know? That, like, he doesn't have to be defined by this child childhood emotion of his, that by this childhood bond. And they're so into, like, fighting that even as, like, round two ends, they're still fighting. And, like, you can just... Like, you can cut, the, like, the intensity of that fight with a knife. And I just, I think... I think it's the most cathartic fight in the whole show because just like how the bond that the two characters share first of all makes it like more intense I feel like but also because like despite the bond they both want to very deeply they want to prove something to themselves and I think that's why uh, that's why my favorite that's why it's my favorite battle and also I love how we <laughs> wizard wizard and uh, Hakiro, Hakiro Jesus Hikaru have such a similar design they look like a couple <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, oh my god they're literally shown dancing together early on in the anime yeah no like um wizard and hikaru yeah yeah, yeah. it's like it's like very early on i think like it's the third episode or something yeah, and I just... yeah, and I love that scene. By the way, when they just start like vibing and like dancing together, like the two dolls, just like just absolutely busting moves, and then like Hikaru just incorporates it into her, um, into her like fighting style, just dancing to like evade the opponent's attacks. Yeah, and that's so cool. It's so cool. Oh god. Yeah. So that's my favorite fight. I also really love the setting of it, like in the mountains, like in this mm-hmm. meadow between the mountains. It's really cool. 
but yeah, like the other two battles I've mentioned are also very strong. I also love the battle with Blanche because I adore Blanche. Blanche is so cool. Like she's like the most girly doll, but she kicks so much ass. She's such a queen. Like every single doll I love, except like those terrible dolls made by <laughs> Ryo Miseki. Like those those are those dolls can suck it. But like every other one, chef's kiss. Just looking like fucking transformers. <laughs> they were like okay, so like I feel like the creators like that were responsible for designing those dolls were like, okay, so we are making this very girly show and we have to show that this character has like a lot of like toxic toxic masculinity problems. He like really wants to be this hyper masculine guy because like he has a lot of internalized misogyny. How do we transform that feeling, that aesthetic into his dolls? And they make the most straight male looking dolls I've ever seen. <laughs> But like that's a good point to like to transition into the next point I wanted to mention, mm. which is like actually various points I wanted to mention, because <laughs> like uh, because I also wanted to shout out uh, other of my favorite some other of my favorite battles slash characters slash character arcs since the character arcs are are like so framed through the fights mm. themselves. Uh, I love um, Misaki and Ringo. <gasps> that's um, such a good battle too. I wish it's Ringo such got. A good battle. I wish I wish Ringo got more screen time. She's such a queen. <laughs> like, um, so the backstory of this battle, really quickly, is like, um, and it's sort of this, like, one after the other. And these are like my other two favorites are uh, Ringo, the one with Ringo, and the one with uh, Rio, the guy. Mm. Because like in these two episodes, which are coupled together, um. It really goes deep into uh, Misaki's insecurities and her having to overcome her insecurities to get better at Angelic Layer. So in the Rio, she like sort of feels belittled by because she's a girl and she's like she feels in, sort of intimidated by like the like the sort of how how outwardly toxic like his Rio's masculine presence is. And it ends up with and ends up with um, Hikaru beating um, Rihu and Rihu just sort of embracing like this more feminine more more femininity in his fighting yeah, style, which also, is a very wholesome ending. It's a very wholesome ending. I also really like how in this episode, like you see that the reason when they're having the battle, why, the reason why M- Misagi is losing initially is because like she has this very deeply internalize this idea misogynistic idea that like boys are just better you know like that boys are stronger that boys think faster so like there is no way that she can uh win with rio and like you can see that like she's struggling because like she feels like the only way she can win with him is that if she adapts more masculine fighting style for hikaru and like the big conclusion of this episode is that like no she can have this like very dancey style, this very like gymnastic style of fighting that Hikaru later on becomes known for. So like something outwardly girly and she can still win because at the end of the day she has a better skill 
den Ryoi... Uh, I don't know how to pronounce Is it Ryo? Ryo? The boy Ryo, Misaki. The boy Misaki. Whatever. <laughs> because his last name yeah. is... Like, the reason why he gets so, like, sour posts about, like, this whole situation is because, like, everyone's, like, chanting Misaki, Misaki because at this point in the show she started to do well in tournaments. And he's like, my name is also Misaki. So, like, what... Like, his ne- last name is Misaki. Her first name is Misaki. So, like, why... I'm a boy, so I'm, I'm obviously better at those things. So why isn't everyone, like, cheering for me? And, like, it obviously comes, like, from this place of insecurity because he just doesn't feel like he's good enough and like what this episode mm-hmm. shows is like to be the best you don't have to stick to this like patriarchal idea of like masculinity as the, like the epitome of power you know like no yeah. like sometimes being the best is like embracing different things and like like you said it's so cool that like by the end of the episode he decides to explore more of the femininity and the fem- the strength that comes from femininity and like the traditional characteristics that are ascribed to it yeah it's god it's such a like a progressive show when you think about it <laughs> and it's like, from 2001 and, and and like um in the next episode which i wanted to get to mm-hmm. with ringo like it's I love the arc of this episode because you have misaki an insecure schoolgirl um, and then on the other hand, you have Ringo, who is literally a pop star, an idol, who wants to become good at Angelic Lair. And she has and a like, Taylor you... Swift haircut, it has to be mentioned. She, 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 she is giving 1989 era Taylor. So mad, Jesus, her bob, like, oh my god, I feel like the bob that Ringo sings in the show is definitely a song that could be on, like, Japanese deluxe edition of 1989. <laughs> Yeah, or like Lover, or some of the popular albums like yeah. that. But like, um, uh, yeah. So I, I love this scene early on where you sort of get these parallels between the two, where Misaki is feeling feeling very small, very insecure, and sort of looks up to Ringo on the TV and see and sees. I wish I could be like her, just like, just very like outwardly feminine and like super confident and this just huge pop star Mm. that people just idolize and meanwhile you have Ringo who idolizes Misaki for her like determination and passion for the game of Angelic Player so you sort of have these two characters who are insecure in their own ways in very different ways opposite ways um, but that through Angelic Lair sort of overcome them and come together and become friends. I love that arc. I think it's like such a, again, like such a progressive arc to make about like feminine friendship. Yeah. And, and I also like, like, I feel like it's such a true thing about like female and female dynamics is that like because of how our Western or in that case Japanese societies are structured. Because they are very much structured on like women, women, Jesus, women. (laughs) (laughs) They are very much structured on women competing with each other and like seeing each other as, you know, they can love one another. They can be very supportive of one another, but like on certain level, they're still aware that they are each other, that they are each other, each other's competition because that's how our society is structured that like, femininity is essentially an object to be won so like different objects are you know in in competition with each other and so the reason like the way it manifests itself itself in female friendships is that like you're aware 
of the things that you lack or you feel you lack and you see them in your friend. So for example, you might feel that your friend is more attractive than you or like, I don't know, she dances better than you or whatever. Like there is a certain element of femininity or like human, humanity, what? <laughs> humanity. <laughs> I, I love to study the humanities. <laughs> There's, <laughs> there's like a different aspect of the hum- human experience that they tap into better than you do and you just feel insecure but like usually something that you feel you lack like there's something that you excel in that the other person will like feed their in their insecurities on right and it's just i don't know if it's true with like male and male dynamics because like I've never been in one. <laughs> uh, but, like, I, I do think there is something emblematic of female and female dynamics. Or, like, that idea that you can, like, look up to one another and, like, be very supportive and warm with one another and still, like, deep down envy the other person very deeply because of your own yeah. insecurity and, like, because you feel like... Because the thing with femininity is, like, no matter what you do with it, like, someone will tell you that you're doing femininity wrong. Like, if you're short, they will tell you that you should be tall. If you're tall, they will tell you that you should be short and, like, etc. etc. And so, like, no one, no one is actually doing femininity right <laughs> in that scenario. But, like, as, a, as an agent of femininity, you will latch on to people that, like, you feel like they're doing femininity perfect from like your definition of perfect femininity if that makes sense you know yeah 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 that makes perfect sense um and sort of to transition to the like other end of the spectrum like i'd like to talk about like the masculinity in angelic layer it's very interesting to me yeah okay so that introduce me into the topic tell me about it like no i just wanted to like i don't know like because it struck what struck me about the male characters is that they're like first of all the only expression of this very typical teen boy is Rio who in his episode ends up embracing like why like all masculinity all like just very vehemently adhering to very masculine um standards is cannot like isn't always good or beneficial to you and you're not automatically superior because of that so he ends up embracing sort of like more feminine behavior in his fighting style and like yes this is cool i'm gonna name my doll misaki because i like you because i'm a look up to you misaki mm. for how like cool you were um and then on the other hand like you have like the more regular um masculine characters in the show which are very much not your typical anime protect even for girly anime Mm. um i feel like they're not your typical love interest characters yeah i mean it's very female gazy the whole show now that i think about it yeah 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 it really is uh actually who directed (laughs) this like is it a woman like Like, i genuinely want to know let me see let me look this up no but like you're completely right like the the prominent male characters you have ojiro who's like essentially a timothy chalamet if he were (laughs) if he played dolls and it was an anime to draw from another anime we have watched together, uh, Kaicho Amisama, <gasps> like the male, Future... the male character in that show 
we will get to that anime eventually trust me <laughs> but, <laughs> we like, will we the will character but the male character in that show is like almost like performatively chauvinistic and that's a part of his charm yeah meanwhile like the male love interest for misaki uh hoijiro is like this very delicate like he's very like he's very much a teen heartthrob but he's very delicate almost in a way that like you'd see i don't know like i'm trying to think of the right comparison they were like i don't know one of the members of bts for example oh wait let me uh ojiro I feel like Ojiro, <laughs> I'm gonna out myself as a BTS stan. Ojiro is something like between, someone like between Jimin and V, essentially. With a little bit of Suga in it because he's very stoic. Yeah, uh, yeah. Suga, from my limited all of BTS, <laughs> I think Suga and Jimin are, are like the two. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Also, I checked. So the anime was both written and directed by uh, by males. However, the original manga was written by an all female Japanese uh, manga group. So. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah. Okay, so part, at least part of it is very. I mean, female. you know, like I feel like, um, I feel like <laughs> if a narcissist is good and willing to listen they will be mm-hmm. able to deliver on like any perspective as long as oh, they go I, to the I, source I, yeah. so like definitely. yeah it's so, like you definitely can see that like at some part of this story there was a there was feminine sensitivity and it has been very well translated from the manga into yeah. anime i feel like but yeah let's go back to talking about ojiro my fave i love because... him <laughs> <laughs> because Hojiro is like it's this teen art throb, but not in a typical teen anime guy standard way. Because he's so like compassionate and so very like delicate and like soft spoken. And he's just unlike so calm. the other, unlike like, the typical standard romantic, yeah, like teen anime protagonist. Yeah, and I also feel like a lot of like masculinity that teenage girls are condition to find attractive is very like hot tempered very you know like aggressive like you know mm-hmm. oh i don't know they do something like very aggressive to show their affection while Ojiro is like he's the calmest person ever like he's just yeah. he's just there vibing he just say like he says stuff that he means like outwardly he like when he takes misaki on a date he just wants her to feel comfortable and like open up to him and so they just have this like very like this very wholesome very calm date and like he never pushes her into anything and mm-hmm. when he does confess her feelings it's just you know it, it's it's in this most sincere calm manner i love him he's such a king <laughs> yeah and the other major male character is just an absolute doofus <laughs> he's a dumbass like he i love him but like god oh like my god, he's, he's such a clueless little he's such a i mean wait which Kotaro, one obviously oh yeah I, I'm, I'm sorry I thought, I thought we were gonna talk about ichiro and i was like ichiro no. is the most dad character i've ever seen no 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 I- no, Ichan is just a dad. It's like that's different. But like, like Kotaru is just I, um, I. He's so funny to me. He's I, so I actually cool. really like him. I mean, he. I, I like him a lot as well. He. Um. He's a great older bro- brother, and you can see like he takes, like a lot of pride in how involved he is with his like little sister and her interests, and the, like he doesn't find that at all, uh, emasculating. Like, he just. 
he also like his best friend is a girl i mean that he doesn't really see as a girl but like we'll get on to that later oh boy we'll get into that <laughs> but yeah like he's very like clueless and like also like what i love when the show does is like when they treat male shyness and insecurity with like genuine compassion and like exactly instead of just being something that like you should quote unquote overcome to become more manly or something to be laughed at no like here he's just that's part of who he is and like that in no way negates his masculinity and um i think like the biggest arc for him is just understanding the like just the same way he doesn't have to perform masculinity in a certain way he doesn't like he shouldn't require like he doesn't have to find just one femininity attractive you know like that he under i think like his arc is just like learning to understand the femininity is more complex and that he doesn't actually have to like like the sort of femininity that like the culture has conditioned him to like you know yeah yeah i which makes the transitions (laughs) into i think with the most like uh, like one of the major plot points and certainly one of our favorites which is like can we call it love triangle? Maybe. I think it's a uh, love square. Misaki. Honestly, it's a love square because okay, let me explain the situation. We have Misaki, <laughs> and Kotaro has a crush on Misaki. Misaki, like she is a bit flustered, like around Kotaro at first, but I think it's because like she's never had a close male friend before, and so like she finds this yeah, exactly. new dynamic kind of maybe not embarrassing, but like she doesn't really know how to behave. And but like she's not really into him, she's into Ojiro, and for the longest time she doesn't think that Ojiro is into her back. And Tamayo, like at first, at first she just like seems to be just a friend, and she teases Kotaro about like him having a crush on Misaki. But then in like the middle of the show, we get to like we get a few hints that Tamayo is actually in love with Kotaro. And so we have this love square situation. And I love it because like a lot of YA fiction has ruined love triangles and love squares for me. And like, I love them because like a love square or a proper love triangle for that matter is not about like, oh, I have two guys into me. Who do I choose? Who do I choose? No, 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 no. A proper love triangle is one where no one is into each other you know like a person a likes person b a person b likes person c and person c likes person d you know like that's how it works you have to maximize the angst and like the reason why love triangles and love squares are so interesting is because they push forward the question is like what inspires us to be attracted to other people and why do we find certain dynamics or certain aesthetics more attractive or interesting than others right and that's why these situations are so interesting because they a lot of the time they talk about a lot about like how our culture conditions us to see attraction but also like how sometimes human emotion can be very sorry how sometimes human emotions can be very complicated and like i love that it's so angsty and it's just oh it's so good and then the ya genre comes here and it's just it's just that but however i want to defend the hunger games because i do think they actually made like the 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 love triangle semi work there because like each of the boys kind of represented a part of katniss life and like it was essentially like 
which part yeah. of life she will choose not necessarily like which boy she loves more like whatever but like yeah god yeah um yeah so i don't even begin to explain this so okay <laughs> you... so like th- th- so like tamayo and uh kotaro are like misaki's two best friends yeah like they're, they're and they've been friends they're since forever friends. they've been friends since childhood which is also noted in how tamayo refers to kotaro because instead of calling him kotaro kun she calls him kotaro chan because she's known him yeah. since they were little and that's something that like kotaro he's like uh, getting older starts to find more and more annoying and there's a big element element of their relationship tamayo's and kotaro uh, that we're introduced yes. to as we're introduced to the ca- uh, the characters, which is Tamayo beats the shit out of Kotaro <laughs> almost every day. Like, she just comes in, like, fucking grabs his arm, <laughs> throws him to the ground, grabs his neck, boom, chokehold. Like, and what's so funny is that, like, we later on find out that Kataru's family has a dojo and he's actually quite proficient oh, in, kat- so uh, in That's j- uh, karate. And so he could easily, like, hold his own with Tamayo, but he just doesn't. <laughs> it's so... One of the funniest... Oh, this I think this is one of my favorite scenes in the entire show. Which is uh, Kotaro and Misaki are on this date together, and Kotaro is uh, they're in the, um in Kotaro's family dojo, and Kotaro's just like puts on his masculinity goggles, like just puts on like the entire like performance of masculinity for Misaki because that's what he thinks will attract Misaki. So he starts like, oh, I'll teach you some judo, some karate moves, and like starts showing him like yeah i'm kotaro this badass and i'm gonna show you all the moves i'm gonna and then in comes tamayo just like before this you don't really know that tamayo is into kotaro but like she just barges in and like just immediately knocks out kotaro like first thing she does like kick him in the face oh god just completely emasculates this this boy and also i have a head cannon that i've shared with you but i will now share with the people is that like you don't really find out that tamayo is into kotaro since like till the like the middle of the show but like honest to god i feel like the reason why she like keeps on kicking him and like putting him in putting (laughs) putting him in chokeholds is because she just wants to have physical contact with him because she has a crush on him and she just wants to be close yeah. to him and like she doesn't really know she, she, like she i feel like doesn't know because she is not like sort of the type of sort of not this traditionally feminine girl yeah. so she does not know how to approach that type of attraction so that's the way she finds to sort of express that in a really messed up way yeah and she's also very aware that like that kotaro is not into her type of femininity you know like she mentions that later on in that iconic elevator elevator scenes that like i could always tell which girls in like the classes that we've been in you liked because she understands that he is not into her like aesthetic and her expression of femininity and like tamayo has this like inner struggle like do i become more feminine or do i stay true to myself you know, and I think that's, especially when you're a young girl, that's that's something very true and very genuine that you go through. And, like, uh, it's just, it's so well done. And, like, having that knowledge f- 
from the very beginning of the show that Tamayo is in fact into Kotaro makes the experience so much richer of like all of their interactions. Alexa, play Your Life by Carly Rae Jepsen. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! Yes, <laughs> yes, yeah. No, and but also we uh, like I've mentioned when we were discussing the battle between Ojiro and um, and Mi- Misaki. What I also really like about those two main couples is a, like it's not that they're just there and they're wholesome and like lovely to look. I like I love that, <laughs> but also they like they the the romance subplots are there to inform the the individual character arcs of each yeah. character, and yeah. I also and like the fights themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and now like, and like I don't know. To me, like Kotaro and Tamayo and Ojiro and Misaki just work so well vibe wise that I just I cannot yes. understand how in the manga the ships are different. Like, <laughs> when you why? Told me. When you told me that Timothy Chalamet looking ass Ohichiro <laughs> is dating Tamayo, I what is that? What would they talk about? What what would they, <laughs> what what would they do? Like like, in my view, Tamayo would grab Ohichiro by the neck and just throw him <laughs> in the ground and say, "Get the fuck out of here, piss boy." <laughs> like exactly because like the reason also why the couples work is because Ajiro and Misaki are they're both very passionate about Angelic Lair, but also they have like this similar way of seeing the world and like interacting with the world. So like they can bond over that, but they can also bond over this like very big passion that they have for this weird little sport. And Tamayo is like exactly like you said like what would they talk about like it's not even vibes like what would they talk about they have nothing in common they have completely opposite energies it just it wouldn't work it wouldn't work and like when i think about kotaro and misaki like they Uh, together they would be so boring together you know what i mean very boring it would be kotaro just trying to prove that he's the right man trademark yeah. for misaki <laughs> and misaki just having to settle for this oh i'm his like little feminine girl and yay it's all like fine yeah. i don't like that pair those pairings i don't like that at all because like also i don't know maybe with tamayo and ozuro because tamayo is just such a vibrant character like they could make it interesting in some way but like when i think about kotaro and misaki together they would be they would be the kind of couple that they they are together they sort of work together but like neither of them inspires the other to grow as a person and like become yeah. more interesting and more vibrant version of themselves yeah uh, yeah and like on one hand that's a very like patriarchy approved coupling <laughs> you know but on the other hand i i hate those sort of couples in media like like, in the world, if you're in such a couple, then fine, like, do whatever you want. But, like, when we're talking about, like, texts, like, cultural texts, I want to be entertained. And there's nothing entertaining about Katara and Misaki as a couple. <laughs> yeah, nah, no, nah, it's nothing there. And, like, it's like, it leads us to sort of one of my favorite moments in the entire show, which is when Kotaro starts seeing her, starts seeing Tamayo. And the sort of like so, Tamayo just goes all out like, "Fuck it! I know you don't like me, so I'm just gonna con- confront you with this you, with your own bullshit." So mm-hmm. you don't like girls like me, huh? Yeah, is that your thing? 
yeah, you don't like girls like me. I've always known. I've always known that. Um, so why don't you think of me as a girl? Huh? Tell me. And then Kotaro is like all flustered, and she's and he's like, well, I've not thought of you that way, but now that I think of it, huh? And then to just we just cut away, and like we we we're just left with this idea that Kotaro, like like the part, perfect person for Kotaro has been there all along, and he's yeah. just been too blinded by his own like cluelessness that. He hasn't seen it yet. I don't know. Yeah, no, no, I completely agree. I feel like, especially when you're a young person, like, you learn about, like, attraction and what kind of couple you should aim to form with another human being and who you should be attracted to from media. And I think, like, especially, like, 2001, like, you didn't have a lot of, like, progressive media that would be, like... Actually, you should be with the person that, like, whose company you like the most. And, like, you don't have to like the, like, the most traditionally feminine girl in the class. Like, you can be, you can, you know, it doesn't have to be like that. And, you know, he's, like, 13 in the show or whatever. So, like, it makes sense that he's clueless and that he only begins to understand what, like, true attraction is like and what it means to like someone and what you want to want in another human being which is why like i find their ending so cute that like because you have the final battle and then you have the epilogue that is played to like this massive bop and and the epilogue is set like around half a year later after the final fight and you see um kotaro and tamayo walking down the street and they see this older couple and they're um, they they're holding hands and then you just look at each other and they're like, "How about we try this?" You know, and yeah, it's just yeah. so, and it's just so great because like from the very first episode, you can see that they do share this understanding of each other and this bond. And by the end of the show, they start to experiment with like learning to see each other a little bit differently and like that it's okay that you don't end up with the picture-perfect idea of a relationship, right? And it's just... I don't know. Oh, God. But, like, can... Since we were talking about the ships, anyway, can we talk about the best episode of the entire show, which is the beach episode? Yes, the beach episode, which is where Misaki and Huijiro have this, like, very cute date, and where Tamayo... And Tamayo finally confesses to Kotaro, and this okay, is a huge, like... beautiful moment. Oh my god, but we have to talk about this moment because like this is the moment I'm watching it and I hear August by Taylor Swift. So Salt Air. Salt <laughs> Air. And rust on your door. You were never mine. <laughs> so, okay, so like salt air. And, and, and like she she's close to the sea. It's it's perfect. I can see all of like the AMVs. Like yeah. Someone make this, please. Okay, so essentially. Um Initially, uh, Misaki and her friends go to the beach on their own and Ojiro and Itsan and their colleagues go to the beach on their own and they meet on the beach and they meet on the beach and they decide to like, you know, join their beach parties and have this one big beach party. And so, you know, the episode goes on and like Tamayo notices that like, Kotaro becomes more and more possessive of Misaki because you can see that like Ajira yeah. and Misaki they like each other and you know they, they respond well to each other 
and Kotaro is a insecure little boy so like <laughs> he becomes more <laughs> possessive and he just you know he just he kind of wants to stop Ajiro and Misaki from vibing essentially and then um, by the end of the episode there is a sunset and Ajiro is like hey let's have a romantic walk only he's a way cooler when he says that to Misaki and Misaki's like okay and they go on this walk and Kotaro is like very insecure about it and at one point he's just like, okay, fuck it, I'm just gonna go to them. Like, I, I just, I feel like he just doesn't know how to deal with that emotion, which, you know, very valid. Yeah. And Tamayo is like, torn because on one, her, on one hand she's heartbroken because like, here's this boy that she's probably loved for a very long time. And like, he doesn't see her and he's after her friend. But at the same time, she's also like my friend is having this thing with this guy and I don't want Kotaro to ruin that for her. And like, so she's just full of this pain and she runs after him. She stumbles on on the sand and this is when she finally tells him in this very like, I'm so angry with my pain. I'm just so done with this feeling. She just kind of like blurs it out that she's been in yeah. love with him for a very long time. And you have this beautiful shot. She's like, she's um, sitting on, on the sand and she starts crying and her tears fall on her thigh. And then the sea comes washing in and kind of washes away her tears. And it's such, it's such Poetic a beautiful cinema. shot. It's such a beautiful shot. And I want someone just to loop it and play August by Taylor Swift That's over it. That's like the way the, like, the sea comes into the shot. That's like some... We're getting really into film nerd shit. That's some Yasushiro Ozu shit. Like, this is the P. Like, that shot is amazing. <laughs> it's so... It's so beautiful. And also, like, another shot from the... I mean, the whole... The whole episode is so well written. It's so well animated. The coloring... Oh, it's a masterpiece. It's all about vibes. It's all about vibes. They're just going to the beach and just vibing together. And, yeah. like... And um, Misaki we... discovers that Ichan, her mentor, is like, um, <laughs> like Huijiro's brother. So there's like, I, I, there's so much fun and so much angst at the same time in this episode. Yeah, and also like when Ojiro and Misaki go on the walk, and he, you have that beautiful shot where he um, hands out his hand, hands out his hand. Was that correct? I don't know. Like he he gives Misaki his hand to hold as she like climbs down from the rock, rocks, and you have them holding hands and like continue to hold hands and like this beautiful sunset sky in the background and like you understand that like this is a in a way this is a partnership of equals that just they both yeah. I, I, I like them both very much I love the the ships very much I just I feel like they're very well done and I just I love when the show understands what kind of characters it has and like what kind of dynamics would work best for each character you know because sometimes yeah. you watch a show especially like something aimed for middle schoolers or high school students and you're just like you have these cool characters but then they're coupled up in this, like the most ridiculous way and you're like in what world would these characters be into each other you know like in what world they would vibe together and this it's show like under understands yeah. like how attraction works it's like the whole type of like anime archetype of like this sort of just like bland like male protagonist like just very generic looking just ending up with the most badass like idea 
of of like a badass female protagonist who is at the same time just completely badass and just somehow at the same time the princess for the clueless boy to to rescue which is a, a trope that's been done in anime specifically like a million times and parodied a thousand times in like Neon Genesis Evangelion and shit like that. So yeah, like, like this enemy just gets it right, and it's directed at for children. This is for children. It's so good. Yeah, and but also I feel like you know, especially when you have media directed at children, it's very important to like showcase. Again, like coming back to the point I was making earlier, like a lot of what we understand attraction to be and like what we understand love to be doesn't really come from like the world around us but it comes from media so that's why i think it's very important to have like these very not maybe not realistic but like this very like this is how it should feel like this is how it should be like you know um examples in media because again like when you have like sailor moon or like evangelion it's like so what it tells me is that like I can be as interesting as I want as a little girl. Like I can be as badass, as intelligent, whatever. But like I should, I still have to settle for a mediocre as guy. <laughs> you know because that's what it teaches children, right? But also it teaches boys that like you don't have to try to be more interesting, to be more thoughtful, to be a better partner because they will still settle for you. You know, like no matter how little you actually bring to the table yeah yeah it's crazy like this enemy just gets everything right it's so fucking good and it like oh my it's just we've talked about it before but like you know the battle episodes are amazing because of how informed you are about each character's backstory and also like even if you have a minor character that only like appears in one episode you still get their backstory and you can see that like both the character and the doll have been designed with care and they want you to see them as full-fledged characters. Oh my god, sorry. Mm-hmm. But like we've mentioned it before, that, like our favorite episodes are not actually are the ones that actually don't feature a fight. They are just like yeah. purely about like this group of people hanging out and like interacting with one another and just vibing. <sighs> and then we haven't even got to the mother plot, <gasps> oh which God. is just the most like melodramatic yet effective shit ever to possibly close this with. Yeah, I mean, it's just the whole idea of the show that like you have this daughter that feel like that feels like she has to maintain this perfect facade that she is not affected by her mother abandoning her abandoning her at a very young age and like essentially being left on her own that she just has to like be fine with it and she has to like move on so like her mother doesn't have to worry because like you know like maybe then once she's perfect at this and like she doesn't cause her mother to worry then her mother will come back to her and so like she doesn't even allow herself mental space to admit that like she misses her mother and she wants her mother to be around and then you have the mother character who is dealing with uh, a, a neural disease that prevents her from essentially moving her legs so it, it leaves her disabled and she feels like if she's not fully able, you know, in, in terms of, like, she's not fully able to work on her own and in that she's not, you know, perfect, then she cannot be Misaki's mother. That Misaki deserves, like, this perfect being of a mother. And, 
so she's also like willingly willingly withdrawing for that relationship because she feels like only when she's perfect can she can she fulfill that role and it's just it informs so much of the female experience is that like if you're not perfect in the world that you're given by the society you essentially lose your worth and ah oh, it's just done so well and it's the payoff is so emotional when they just finally accept when they're honest with each other you know and they like uh misaki finds out that her mother is disabled and that like she's been away because she was working so hard on this project that would allow her to walk again and misaki admits to both herself and her mother herself and her mother that she's been deeply hurt by her um abandonment and like that she like all the time she just wants wanted to be with her but like she didn't feel like she had the right to have that desire oh it's just so good and again it plays into this whole theme of femininity and like you know the the idea of femininity portrayed by traditional patriarchal structures and the experience of femininity and like how femininity is such a great thing to have in your life but you don't have to see it as this like like set of rules that you have to abide that you can remain true and honest and genuine and like experience growth and development and like you can you can express feelings that are not seen as feminine such as anger or you know deep sadness and you know whatever your um exploration from whatever your performance of femininity is and uh, i feel like i've just turned this whole episode into my feminist manifesto about the show i think like with chucky we also kind of did this where we kind of making this entire thing about uh gender dynamics and like but like when you actually think about the majority of like it's true it's they are about like the reason why like texts like i don't know novels shows films whatever music are so interesting and so engrossing because they deal with different relationships that we as humans experience and the majority Mm -hmm. of those relationships are with other human beings right and how we are informed and characterized by them and through them you know and uh, but also, I just want to out us as, like, big-ass fucking leftists on this podcast. That's what I want to do. I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm, yeah. Is it really um, an outing, though? Like, were we ever, like, trying to be anything else? I mean... I, I think it's obvious what, what you're going to get. <laughs> like, as soon as you see what our Instagram page... I think it's pretty obvious what you're going to get. <laughs> Imagine, like, do you have any, like, right... Do you have any right-wing friends, even? Hell no! <laughs> I'm trying to think if, like, anyone, like, right-wing follows me. Like, I have some, like, centralist friends, but, like, I don't think I have anyone right-wing. Ah, no! Oh, my God. Do you want to add anything about the Shuka, uh, Shuka Misaki discourse? No, I think you, I think you, yeah, I think you said it all. <laughs> like, it's just this, and it culminates into a huge battle, like, where these two dolls, mother and daughter, fight in a sea of roses. It's so cool. Look at it. Like, I'm begging you, look at it. Watch look this anime. It. Watch so this good. anime, please. Make it... I want it to get big enough that the original animation is remastered and put out on DVD. That's what I want. And that's what I deserve, I believe. 
Yeah, this anime deserves so much more than it gets. Yeah. Okay, so, like, as we're wrapping this up, um, as we've mentioned, there's an epilogue at the end of the, at the, end of the last episode that, like, sees the characters, mm-hmm. like, six months after the final battle. I want you to, like, use your big brain, use your galaxy brain, and with indulge me as we talk about where would these characters be in, like, a couple of years or, like, even a decade after the final battle. Ooh, interesting. Uh, a decade after the final battle. I think... Obviously, Misaki and Koijiro are together, as well as Tamayo and Kotaro. Mm. I also feel like Misaki and Ojiro would probably be like... Like, I feel like Tamayo and Kotaro will, like, start properly dating right away. But I feel like because Misaki has, like, like, didn't have her mother for seven years, I feel like for the first couple of years she will, like, focus on, like, rebuilding her relationship with her mother. And, like, her and Ojiro yeah. will just kind of, like, hang out and, like... They would both understand that they have feelings for each other that are very genuine and very strong, but, like, they wouldn't, like, rebuild their relationship until, like, Misaki is in, like, in a very strong place with her mother. And I think that's... So, like, w- I feel like when Misaki is in high school, that's when they really start to, like, have a proper relationship. Yeah, like, after high school. Like, yeah. uh, Tamayo and Katara are just going to be high school sweethearts, college sweethearts, just all the way. Yeah. And I think... Yeah, and I think um, I would like to see, like, I don't know if this exists within the <laughs> world of of the anime, but, like, I don't know, I would like to see them go to, like, a World Cup of Angelic <gasps> Layer. So, no, I like, feel... You get, like, British Angelic <laughs> Layers, and you get, like, like, stereotypes from each of the countries. That would be so fucking funny. Oh my god, let us pitch it to Netflix. <laughs> no, but like, imagine like, uh, after like 10 years of it being very big in Japan, it kind of, and maybe like East Asia, like Korea and China and Vietnam and stuff like that, it, after a decade, it goes global. And like, then, you know, the, the new season would be about Misaki and all her friends now, young adults dealing like with all these relationships and like how those dynamics have changed as they've grown at the same time like dealing with something that felt very intimate and to them because it was like this very japanese experience at the beginning because they only like it was big in japan and no one else really as the show establishes and now it's just like this is a very global commercial thing and they have to deal with like the commercial commercialization of something that they love and like experience very intimately oh my god it would slap so hard calling netflix <laughs> like now i imagine like like Amer- like american angelic layer players that would be so funny and they, they like they just stereotype the shit of every out of every country yeah and also like especially with like, america has this very com- both America and England have this like very commercial, industrial view of sports and like a higher level, like a league level, and like so this very corporate agenda crashing with this like very love of the game, like passionate yeah. way that like in Japan, like the competitors interact with Angelic Layer. Oh god! 
So it's like all the Japanese um, Angelic Lair players sort of battling together to save the soul of Angelic Lair from the evil corporate American. I would wonder the shit out of this. And it this. would literally be to allude to our title, episode title. It would literally be a, a Barbie <laughs> battle royal. Barbie World War. Let's fucking go. Let's fucking go. Okay, like, let's just finish it off with talking about the characters. I think... I think Hatako is a, a dyke. I think she's a lesbian. <laughs> uh yeah, I Hatako, yeah. She as she through, as she grows up, she ends up with a crush on Misaki, but she that goes away. I yeah. think I, I That's that just happening. a Kobayashi thing. You have to have a Misaki. You have a you have to have a Misaki crush as you develop your sense of like sexuality and attraction and then like you move on. You move on to the person that you're supposed to be with. Sai yeah, yes. and Kaide are definitely married. I feel like they've adopted dogs. Married, I don't think they have. They have like a beautiful house. They have beautiful pets. They yes. have like just the. Oh, I imagine them like fighting together like a team, like <gasps> team angelic layer. Oh we like imagine like Ojiro and like and Misaki. Oh my god, Sai and Kaide. Oh my god. So many things that could be done with this universe. Like, please make it blow up. So, so someone like someone from Netflix can hear this podcast and be like, wait, hold up, wait a minute, and they, they make the sequel that we deserve. Um, do you think that Ichiro Ichan uh, married marries Misagi's mom? Yes, and then divorce. And we get, we finally, <laughs> we get the ultimate aesthetic, which will be like divorced 50 year old Ichan, which will be just a deranged vibe. <laughs> I feel like they get got married and divorced, but they, the, the couple that like, even though they're, they are divorced and they supposedly are no longer together, they still kind of function as a couple. It's just like the, yeah. uh, the institution of marriage didn't work for them, you know? Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Oh, God. Ah, just watch the show. Just watch the show. You'll have a glorious time. Um, and you can you thank us be... later. Mm. No, never mind. What? No, no, no. Like, I was trying to think of like possible couples for the characters, but then I remembered that, that like um, Hatako is a literal child. And, like, <laughs> no, that's, that doesn't work. She's five, Pedro. This no, is that's not Saudi so, Arabia. So like, it's so stupid that she's five, too. It's like, yes, let's have a child baby prodigy. It's so anime. It's so anime. And, like, she's, like, this fountain of wisdom and just calm. It's and... like Lisa Simpson. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, that's why I really love the scene where she loses to Shirahime. Like, then, like, she just gets so crushed and she just... Then like, you can really see her age. They're like she's really yeah, just you're five. You're a baby. You're yeah. a baby. <laughs> like <laughs> you're a baby that has hasn't developed yet, like the emotion maturity to deal with losing. You know, and that's fine because you are five and you're allowed to be five and you're allowed to be crushed by this like one defeat, and that you know you are allowed to think that like this one defeat like erases completely all your skill and craftsmanship and um. Also, Hatako such a like style icon. Her like little beret, love her. Yeah, yeah. I, I love that the, the Hatako and her brother Kotaro are just like this, um, like complete opposites. Where like she's just a tiny girl, just a fountain of wisdom, and Kotaro is just a dumbass. <laughs> Affectionately, but a dumbass. 
Yes, exactly, exactly. Oh god, watch the show. You'll have a grand old time. It's so good. It uh, it will make you cry. And um, you can thank us. You can thank us later. Um, yeah. Also, I'm I'm sorry. We, um, at the end of the last episode, we said that we're gonna talk about Glee. Oh, um, yeah. As you've listened to the whole episode, you've probably realized that we are not I mean, talking about Glee. It's, and... it's all been a ruse, like, no, it's all about Glee. Let's talk about Glee. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason is because Antonio is busy with his exams and we really want to record the episode with him. So, like, we pushed the Glee episode uh, later down the line. But it, it is coming. It is coming. Glee and also, is coming. Glee is Murphyism coming. is coming. Murphyism is coming. And also, um, to the few of you that have reached out to me about the Powerpuff script thingy, we oh. still want to do it. It's just oh, like yeah. we want to wait for everyone to be done with their exams so then we can like schedule yeah. something. And I don't know, like end of June, beginning of July to do the table read and have the bonus episode. So like everyone's yeah. a little bit less anxious and with a little bit more free time. So like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and also, like, if you haven't reached out to me and you are interested, uh, just text me and I'll find a part for you. <laughs> Powerpuff Girls. What's What are we doing next? What's next episode? Is, oh it, my, is, it, I, is it erotica? I, I, I don't want to make any promises because last time we've promised Glee and we did not yeah. deliver. But maybe, just maybe, it is the erotica and... um. So that yes. one's going to be a little bit different because that we will be reading a book, a very cursed book, a book that is in fact a Twilight fan fiction disguised as a book. I don't know if we're going to survive that one, if I'm being completely honest. It's, it's going to be our like, tough, because so far we have gen, even though this is shit talking and it's all about things that are like sort of maligned by like mainstream tastes we have we genuinely love everything that we have talked about so far except sophia carson she can joke except sophia carson no absolutely <laughs> not but like this general subject we're like we love the cinderella yeah, 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 we yeah. love chucky we love angelic player like we we are gonna challenge we're gonna you are gonna listen to us get challenged by a piece of media like you will listen to us genuinely hate the consumption of a text like you will like because like for the most part for the three episodes that you've now listened you've heard us vibing now we're gonna suffer and we're gonna suffer yeah. very audibly <laughs> oh god yeah. i only read the first chapter and the first chapter is so fucking cursed and it's just oh. okay let's find a way to make this easier somehow is there an audiobook version of this I don't think there is, but like I don't think an audiobook Ooh. version would be easier. Like, do you prefer to read a very graphic description of a very like horrifying blowjob, or would you prefer to listen think, to it? I think listening would be funnier, and at least I could mm. like f direct my focus towards other things while I listen to mm. a very graphic um, description of a blowjob. That's very healthy. Whilst I'm a masochist and I want to highlight every single terrible passage, so I have to read oh, it. Oh, that'd be fun. You know what? Yes, let's never mind. Let's read it and let's. We are going to read out loud every atrocity that we every atrocity of a sentence that we find, so that you too, the listener, can <laughs> um, bask in the glory of awful erotic novels. 
if you want to read the book before the episode, uh, the book is called Beautiful Bastard and it's written by Christina <laughs> Christina Lauren. So if you want to do that to yourself, be our guest. But other than that, this is all from us. Watch Angelic Layer, yeah. Stan Jennifer Tilly, Don't Stan Sophia Carson. <laughs> <laughs> Is the conclusion for today. Okay. Bye. That's that on that. Bye. Yeah, we did it. Thank you.